this morning in your Bibles, will you go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10? Luke, chapter 10. Not too long ago in the Gospel of Luke, we saw Jesus send out his 12 disciples. And they went out with the power to heal diseases, the power to cast out demons, and with a message to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here in Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus expanding that mission beyond the 12 to a larger group of missionaries that Jesus is going to send out into all the regions of Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Luke 10 verse 1 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, 
And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to read your holy word, to study it this morning, to think about its truths. Father, today we just ask that your word would be powerful among us, that your spirit would take these words and apply them to our lives, that your spirit would awaken hearts, open eyes, open deaf ears, that your word may accomplish the purpose that you sent it to do. Lord, thank you for this time and may you bless it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Remember the time when John came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, we saw someone else trying to cast out demons in your name, but we, we rebuked him because he isn't one of us. And you remember Jesus' response? John was probably expecting like a pat on the back. You know, good job. You know, this, is, this is just for you guys, right? That's not what the response that John got. John got a rebuke from Jesus. Instead of a pat on the back, Jesus said to him, don't rebuke him. Whoever is not against us is with us. And the principle that Jesus was seeking to teach John and his disciples at that point is that the mission, the ministry is not confined to a select few. The, the mission has been given to all of the disciples of Jesus. And I think that is very much on display in this passage because here we see specifically that Jesus is uh, expanding the mission beyond just the 12 to a larger group of 72 that are going to go throughout the towns and villages and prepare the way for Jesus. And we could even say that these 72 are a picture of our mission because we have been given a privileged mission, all of us. Sometimes I think we fall into the thinking that the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. I think sometimes as Christians, we think that that mission is just for the elite few, that it's just for the, the full-time called missionaries or the full-time called pastors or, or full-time Christian servants. That commission is given to all of Jesus' disciples. We may not all go around the world, but we all have a role to play wherever we are in the proclamation of that message and the fulfillment of that mission and making disciples. And so Jesus is expanding it. It's not just the 12. And so I think he's telling John there, get off your high horse. You know, uh, in fact, right before that, they were arguing with each other who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, you know, quit arguing amongst each other and and quit saying this is just your reserve. This is just your territory. No, I'm giving this mission, this ministry to many. And I want to I want it to grow and expand. And so we, too, now generation after generation after generation later, after the 12 and after the 72, we too have to take up that baton and carry forward the mission that Jesus left for us to do. 
Verse 1 says that Jesus appointed 72 others. In your translation of the Bible, you may have the number 70 there. Uh, the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, the New, the New Revised Standard Version say 70. If you have the NIV like me, you'll notice at the bottom there's a little footnote that says some manuscripts say 70. This is a really tough uh, manuscript problem uh, that we have a lot of Greek manuscripts that say 70. We have a lot of Greek manuscripts that say 72. And so it's hard to make a choice. Some translations go with 70. Some go with 72. Um, some say that the 70 is based off of the, the frequent use of 70 that we find in the Old Testament. And you can see many, many places in the Old Testament where the number 70 is found. Uh, some have even suggested that this number 70 is roughly patterned after the list of nations in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, this table of nations that approximates 70. And by this, Jesus is intending to communicate this message is for all the world, uh, to go to everywhere. But uh, regardless of whether we go with 70 or 72, the principle is the same. And that is the principle is that Jesus is expanding the mission. And he is sending these missionaries out two by two to go into all of these villages. And in verse number two, notice what Jesus tells them to pray. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus tells the missionaries that he is appointing to pray for even more to join them in this harvest field. Here's, here's a principle that I think is true in every age of the gospel proclamation is that you can never have too many missionaries. You can never have too many evangelists, too many Christians sharing the word of Christ because there is a large harvest field out there. And so we're never going to exhaust it. We can send more and more. And what I think is interesting is that Jesus tells them to pray for workers to go out into the harvest and then he sends them out into the harvest. It's almost as if they are the answer to their own prayer. Jesus says, pray for workers to go out into the harvest field. Now you, your workers, go out into the harvest field. And those people become the answer to their own prayer. Let me just throw this out for something to think about. Whenever you pray for something from God, are you willing to be the instrument that he uses to accomplish that prayer request. Let me give you an example. If you're praying for the salvation of a coworker or a loved one, are you willing to be the missionary, the instrument that God uses to answer that prayer, the salvation of your coworker or your family member? Here, they, Jesus says, pray for missionaries. And now he says, you're the missionaries. So now go into all the world. But he says, it's going to be a dangerous mission. It's going to be a dangerous mission. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And it was true of his day. Nothing has changed today. It is still a dangerous mission. Some areas of the world, it is more dangerous than others. Even here in America, 
we're going to face challenges. We're going to face opposition. We're going to face criticism. Some places you go in our country, you're going to face physical opposition, physical persecution. But there are places in our world where if you name the name of Christ, you may be writing your own death sentence. And so Jesus, when he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, that's not a hyperbole. That's not an exaggeration. He says, this is going to be a dangerous mission, but I'm with you. I'm with you and there will be provision for the mission. So you don't need to take with you a purse or bag or sandals. I'm going to provide for you. Just like he told the 12 when he sent them out before, you don't need to take all of this with you because wherever you go, the people that you preach the gospel to and welcome you and receive you, they're going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you through them. And we might think it odd when he says in verse four, don't greet anyone on the road. Think, well, isn't that part of their mission? Like to talk to people. And I think we're kind of maybe missed the point of that comment. And I think the, the essence of that comment is this is an important mission. This is an urgent mission. And so I want you to go and with haste, I want you to move quickly from town to town. And I want you to proclaim the message because this is important. This is urgent. And so when you come to a house, bless that house with peace. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. And I think what this is in essence is saying is, is this a house that is going to welcome the message of Christ or not? If this is a house that welcomes the message of Christ and therefore welcomes you, then the peace of God, the peace of Christ will rest on that house. But if they do not welcome the message that I'm giving you, the the peace of God, the peace of Christ will not rest on that house. And so if you come and they welcome you, that means that they're receptive to the message and they're going to provide hospitality for you. So stay there and eat and drink and eat what they give you for the worker deserves his wages. A principle that we see throughout the scriptures is that those who do the work of the ministry should be provided for in that labor of ministry. And he says, don't go from house to house trying to take advantage of different people. Just stay and and stay where you're welcome and where you're provided hospitality. And, And don't trouble yourselves by having to look for other houses, house to house. Just focus on the mission that I am giving you. And when you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat there, take what they give you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But... When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town, we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. We saw this earlier when Jesus sent out the 12, that if they were to go into a village or town that did not welcome them or the message, they were to take off their sandals and shake the dust off of them as a testimony, as a witness against them, Symbolizing, I think, uh, God's judgment that will befall them for their rejection of Christ. Similar image here. But I want to point out one thing. The message is the same. If you notice in verse number nine, 
and in verse number 11, the message is exactly the same. Whether they welcome you or whether they reject you, in both places, here's what they are to say. The kingdom of God has come near to you. It's the same message. In other words, if I could make an application to our modern day, do not change the message to get people to accept it. Do not change the message to get people to accept it. Jesus' commission to them is the same message. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ died, buried, risen again. That is the gospel message. Do not change it just so that you can get more numbers or get more people to come and accept what you're saying. The results of success are not the responsibility of the missionary. The results of success are not the responsibility of the missionary. And in that, we have to get out of our minds the American commercialized marketing that has so invaded the church. The gospel is not a sales presentation. You know, what's, what's a salesman's motto? Always be closing, right? And growing up, I had people that I, you know, would come to our churches and they would tell us how to share the gospel with people. And it was more about how to give a sales presentation, how to close the deal than it was about just faithfully giving the message. Gospel presentation is not a sales pitch. And it's not on us as a salesman to always be closing, be closing the deal. Because when, when we have that kind of pressure on ourselves, we're going to manipulate the message to get the closing, right? Just as an example of that, when, when the pressure is on you to, to do results and you're focused on the results, you're going to mess up the method. Modern day example of that, Wells Fargo got in a bunch of trouble because Wells Fargo was putting a lot of pressure on their, their bank employees. We need new applications. We need new checking accounts. We need new visa applications. There was so much pressure on them. Guess what they started doing? They started making up fake applications and inventing fake checking accounts and fake uh, credit card applications for people that did not exist. Why? So they could meet their quota. When, when the results are the focus, you're going you're gonna to change your methods and manipulate them so that you can arrive at the result that you want. Jesus is not telling us to focus on the results. He's telling us to focus on the mission and the message. The kingdom of God has come near. The responsibility for the acceptance or rejection of the message does not fall on the missionary. It falls on the hearer. It's exactly what Jesus says here. If they reject you, you take the sandal off your foot, you shake the dust off of it as a witness against them, as a warning to them. And Jesus says in verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And same point, he goes on to say in verse 13, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you 
had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will be go down to Hades. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying all of these towns in Galilee that have seen Jesus, seen the miracles of Jesus, heard the words of Jesus, and still rejecting Jesus and his message and rejecting his messengers, you do not want to be those people on the day of judgment. Somehow, and I can't fully explain it in in detail, understand how it can work out this way. Somehow, Jesus is saying there is a level of punishment, of degree of judgment based on your access to the light of truth and your response then to the amount of light of truth that has been given to you. So if you're in Judea or Galilee in those regions, when Jesus was on the earth and you rejected him, oh my, the level of judgment that awaits that person or town at the judgment day. He says, it'll be more tolerable. It'll be easier on Sodom at the day of judgment than for that town. Remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire fell down from the sky and burned up Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus says, it'll be better for them than for Capernaum on the day of judgment. Yeah, you don't want to be Capernaum on the day of judgment. You don't want to be someone who hears the message of Christ and rejects it on the day of judgment because you will be held accountable for hearing that message and rejecting that message. And it will not go well for you on the day of judgment. The responsibility, the accountability, the judgment for whether or not the message is accepted or rejected falls on the hearer, not on the preacher, the missionary. The missionary's job is tell it, proclaim it, faithfully give it. If a door is slammed in your face, then a door is slammed in your face and the person on the other side of the door will stand before God one day. But if they open the door to you, then share the message and you have gained a brother or sister in Christ. And Jesus says, essentially, I am placing my authority on you. I'm extending my authority to you. Whoever listens to you, verse 16, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So if you reject the messenger of Christ, you reject Christ. If you reject Christ, you reject God. And so in our very pluralistic, everybody has, a, has some access to truth. It's your own truth and you can invent your own truth and you've got your truth and I've got my truth. And you can find your way to God through Islam and you can find your way to God through Hinduism and you can find your way to God through Judaism Jesus says, no, if you reject my messenger, you reject me. If you reject me, you reject God. 
So the people of Jesus' day who were Jews, who were descendants of Abraham by lineage, if they were to reject Jesus, they've rejected their God. They've rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if they reject Jesus, God's son. And they will be on the outside looking in on Judgment Day. Then the results of the mission. The 72 returned in verse 17 with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There was success. The Lord blessed their mission. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so they come back with a message of success. And Jesus says, I even saw Satan falling like lightning. Whether this is literal at that moment, Satan being kicked out of heaven, or maybe it's just a, a literary figure of speech or a vision that communicates the same truth. The idea is that where I give you authority, Satan has no authority. Where I send you out to proclaim the mission and I am with you to bring success to that mission, Satan has no power. Jesus told his disciples elsewhere, on you, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan, Hades, hell, has no power over the church of Jesus Christ, has no power over the Holy Spirit who attends the message of the gospel and then brings people to salvation through the power of the gospel. Satan has no power over that. He's a fallen angel with no power. So go out and proclaim the message. And Jesus says, I'm going to protect you. Verse 19. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying in verse number 19 that I want you to go looking for snakes and scorpions. And I want you to go finding them, looking them and bringing them up into the pulpit and having a display of snake handling in front of the church. It's not what Jesus is saying here. Just like Jesus didn't jump off the temple when Satan said, hey, if you jump off the temple, God promised to protect you. Well, Jesus still didn't jump off the temple. He says, don't test the Lord your God. Okay, well, don't test the Lord your God by picking up a snake or a scorpion. The message is, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you in this mission. Now, does that mean that a missionary of Jesus will never be harmed? Does that mean that a missionary of Jesus will never be physically harmed? That a missionary of Jesus will never die? We know that that's not the case. We know that missionaries have been physically assaulted. We know that missionaries have died because they've gone to people and proclaimed the gospel. Jesus is saying, I'm going to protect you. It may be an eternity that I protect you. No one can take away your eternal life. Don't fear them that kill the body, but fear the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. So don't worry about the, those who may hurt you. And in verse 20, he says, in spite of what great joy you have at the success that you've seen in your mission, that is nothing compared 
to this simple, gracious truth that your name is written in heaven. Yes, we have been given a privileged mission, but even more fundamentally, more important than that, we have been given a blessed salvation by the grace of God. Yes, we have been given a privileged mission, but even more fundamental than that, we have been blessed with a salvation by the grace of God. And the next few verses that close out this passage emphasize the gracious nature of that salvation. Because Jesus says in verse number 21, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. What did Paul say in Corinthians? Not many wise, not many strong, not many wealthy were chosen. Why? Because God, you have chosen the weak things of the world, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The world looks to wealth. The world looks to might, physical strength. The world looks to fame and popularity. The world looks to physical beauty. The world looks to all of these things for status. And just like uh, Samuel, when he arrived at the house of Jesse and saw all these tall strapping sons of Jesse, he thought, surely this guy has got to be the next king. But what did God say? Not him, not him, not him, not him. This little shepherd teenager, David, the runt of the group, if you will, that's the one who's going to be the king of Israel. And Jesus is saying many times the grace of God works completely opposite of the normal ways that we as people expect. Just like with Jacob and Esau, the older will serve the younger. No, the older is supposed to have the birthright and the blessing. No, the younger is. The older is going to serve the younger. Here, you've given these precious things to children and you've revealed them to to them because this is what you pleased to do, Father. Verse 22, Jesus says, All things have been committed to me, me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What does that mean other than the eyes to see Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can only be granted by grace? The eyes to see who Jesus is, the Son of God, and your Savior who died for you and rose again for you, the eyes to see that and to believe that, that's a gracious gift. From the Son of God who says, and to those whom I choose to reveal. It is a gracious gift of God's electing choice. Those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It is not something natural to us, is it? How, have you ever asked yourself the question, how could so many people in Capernaum 
in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, how many, how could it be possible that so many people that saw Jesus in the flesh, saw Jesus heal the blind, the lame, the deaf, raise the dead, and still not believe? It's because belief is not something that can arise from within our, our own selves. Belief is not something that we can produce in our own hearts. Belief, saving faith, is something that is granted graciously by a loving God. That's exactly what Jesus told Peter when Peter made this great confession in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. How did Peter know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God? It didn't come out of him in his own flesh. It didn't come from other people's flesh and blood. The only way that Peter could know that is because God graciously revealed it to him. And so then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you are blessed. You are blessed beyond comprehension. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And I think we could take those two verses in two ways, and and perhaps it means both. One, I think Jesus means you're living at a precious time in God's salvation historical plan. Because going back in Israel's history, there were so many prophets that, that foretold in shapes and shadows of this coming day, but they never got to see it with their own eyes. Kings like King David, Josiah, Hezekiah, righteous kings in Israel's history. They wanted to see what you are seeing. Moses and Elijah, David and Solomon, all of these prophets and kings, they wanted to see this day, but you are here. The morning star has arrived. The light of the world has come. There is no doubt that the days that Jesus walked the the roads of Galilee and Judea, they were the climax, the centerpiece of all of human history. And by that, Jesus means you're blessed to see this day. But I think another meaning, another extension of the meaning here is that there were people living that day who still didn't see what the disciples saw and hear what the disciples heard. As Jesus would say in other places, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, there were people living that day in the days of Jesus who saw him but didn't see him, who heard him but didn't really hear him, and they rejected him. And so in a double way, blessed are you for seeing what you're seeing right now. 
Not only that you're at this point in history, but also that your eyes spiritually have been opened to see and believe that the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God is here. You, you are blessed. Let me extend that to us. We did not live in the days of Jesus. We have not seen the face of Jesus. We have not seen the nail prints in his hands or his feet. One day we will. One day we will see him face to face. But there is this one sense in which we have been blessed because we have seen. Because our eyes, if you are a believer in Christ and you're here today as a child of God, your eyes have been opened to see. Your ears have been opened to hear. And you are blessed beyond what you can imagine. And so because we have been blessed with this salvation by the grace of God beyond what we can imagine, then what a privilege it is to also be on mission for that Savior. And that's really the essence of this whole passage. We have been given a blessed salvation and a privileged mission by the grace of God. And so my prayer is simply this. I pray that your eyes will be opened to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And my prayer is that if you have life in the name of Jesus, that you will be an instrument in his mission of grace to tell the world that this is the Savior. This is the only way. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so may we be faithful representatives of our Savior in the world. Let's bow in prayer together. Father of grace, we thank you so much for your mercy, for your love that has called us to yourself and opened our eyes to see and believe. And Father, though we have not seen Jesus in the flesh, we have seen him. We have heard him. Our eyes have been opened to see and believe because you have been gracious to us. And Father, we long for the day when we will see him face to face. Father, if there's someone here today who's hearing this message from your servant Luke, hearing the words of Jesus, and their eyes have not yet been opened, their ears have not yet been opened to hear the words of the Son of God, Lord, I pray that you would call them today and open their eyes, open their ears, give them spiritual life. Father, for us who are so tempted to just go about our days, go about our habits and our routines day after day, month after month, and we just don't really focus on the mission that you've given us to do, Lord, call us away from that apathy, from that... um, from that distraction, Lord, give us a renewed sense of our mission that you have entrusted to us and that we would go out in the places where you send us, even if it's just here in our town, in our workplaces, in our families, that, Father, we would be faithful in sharing the message of the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for this privileged mission that you've given to us, and we thank you for the gracious salvation that you have blessed us with. And we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.